welcome to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm Elise Dorita. Today's guest is Ellen Joseph of Vincent and Elkins. During the last days of August, Hurricane Harvey hit Texas as a Category 4 storm and became known as one of the costliest natural disasters in U.S. history. Houston, where Ellen is based, was one of the cities most affected by Harvey due to widespread flooding. Ellen graciously agreed to come back on the show and share her experience. Hi, Ellen. Thank you for coming back. It's a pleasure to be back. So we're recording this on November 29th, and tomorrow is actually the last day of hurricane season, which has been a a crazy one this year. So you're based in Houston, and we want to start by discussing your experiences leading up to Hurricane Harvey, which happened at the end of August. What was the feeling like in Houston leading up to it? (laughs) You know, Houston has been through its shares of hurricanes. I'm a native Houstonian, so I have lived through um, many hurricanes, Alicia when I was little, Ike and Rita. Um, so I, I think there was sort of the, you know, the typical preparation and apprehension, but really people felt that we could handle it, we were going to get through it in the weeks leading up. Immediately before when we sort of found out that it was going to be much more a rain event than a hurricane for us in Houston, I think the panic started to elevate a little bit because of our recent flooding in the last two or three years. So I think there was more panic when, when, the, when the storm really changed to a major rain event, a major water event, than really the winds and the more typical hurricane stuff that went elsewhere. Yeah, I was reading about um, recently some people's experiences, and they're like, by the time Harvey happened, it was like the third time their home had flooded because they didn't That's think right. obviously it was a concern when they first bought their homes. But then by the time this happened, they were like, "Wow, we can have flooding in it." Um, I guess was the third times, the time where they really noticed. So this is kind of touching on what you just said. Based on the types of hurricanes that have reached Houston in the past, I know it's been a, some big ones and a lot of smaller ones. What did you in the pro bono community do to prepare for this hurricane? Obviously, kind of last minute finding out what this really is going to be. Well, I think it's difficult, and maybe this is just from my perspective, to prepare in advance um, from a legal services perspective. You know, we have organizations, we have great legal aid organizations um, that are sort of our first lines of disaster relief. So um, we knew that they were preparing. And then ABCO which is the Association of Pro Bono Counsel, um, we, there, a few of us um, who are in leadership of ABCO were talking about, you know, making sure we had some sort of programs in place, maybe an email listserv set up so we, can, we could really um, help those affected. So um, what we did put in place was an ABCO task force, which is, was really led by um, a pro, the Pro Bono Counsel at Skadden, Brenna Devaney, from afar, and then I was the sort of local point person on the ground. And then we developed kind of a, a, a group of ABCO folks that were helping us around that. Um, and so that's what we did in advance. So we sort of knew we had a structure in place to help once, the, once we kind of dried out. Um, so we, just, we really just stayed in touch with each other, and then we tried to stay in touch with legal aid organizations. Now, what was so unique about Harvey was that on the first day of the storm – our legal aid organization in Houston, our front line for disaster relief, exploded. And Lone Star Legal Aid lost their whole office 
to a fire. So that is what really created a little bit even more drama than what we're accustomed to because we are so reliant on the great work of these legal services organizations who are experts in disaster relief. So that that was sort of in the days leading up and that was sort of the first that was the first news I received on the storm and so immediately the the sort of task force that we put together started brainstorming out ways not only were we ways we could help our clients and in the community, but now ways we could help Lone Star Legal Aid directly and then help them help the community. That was a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was definitely thorough. Um, and I had no idea that that was something that had happened from like all my research. So you really had to go from like ground up. Yes, including including firms from all over the country donating laptops and monitors and phones and we were trying because the Lone Star Legal Aid staff who are the disaster relief, you know, front lines were in all of the shelters that were being established really quickly out in the community. And so we needed to make sure that they were able to network with each other. And I mean, they lost all of their servers and everything. So we were, we were really doing things kind of the old fashioned way on the telephone and um, trying to coordinate that way and really coordinating as much offline as we could. So instead of having, you know, an ability to have laptops and all of that, a lot of the law firms were helping with, um, like I made something like 20,000 copies of documents that we distributed at the shelters, um, copies to help with FEMA information, landlord-tenant information, um, uh, housing, you know, all sorts of, and, and so instead of being able to distribute links to people or things like that, we we did it a little bit more the old-fashioned way. Um, but the the ABCO and the the law firms really all stepped up, and within, I want to say, a couple weeks, Lone Star Legal Aid had everything they needed. Wow, yeah, I'd read that you made uh, 26,000 flyers. <laughs> I, I read that online today, and I was like, that is such a daunting number. Well, you know, Lone Star had no office. And so we were all just trying to figure out ways which we could help. And, you know, we kept asking Lone Star, what do you guys need? They were really out doing the legal work. And at the time, and we were sending lawyers to the shelters to help at their tables, but at the time what they really needed was, it sounds really simple, but office supplies and and copies of their, you know, the 12 to 14 documents that they want to make sure that their clients or their, you know, the community has. So, I had partners and associates in here helping me make the copies the first day or two because our, our office was on a very skeleton staff, so we didn't even have our reprographics department and all of that. By the third day after the storm that the shelters were open, I was able to really utilize the firm staff and, and, and kind of get that handled a little bit less personally by me. <laughs> That's amazing that like the whole firm, regardless of level, kind of stepped in to do whatever was needed, not just the legal work. This was the most unique experience I've had. Um, and I, I've had a lot of uh, theories why we have had almost in three year successions, this was the third, you know, sort of 500 year um, storm. And the last two um, hit really the same parts of town and hit them pretty dramatically. Um, and they were the sort of, um, middle to less affluent. Well, Harvey hit everybody. There were very few neighborhoods totally unscathed. Everyone knew of people who were rescued from their second floors, from the most affluent neighborhoods all the way to the least affluent. So I think the incredibly pervasive impact, it it hit everybody. So I think 
that's why in maybe the other storms, I didn't have a million partners asking me what they could do. If they could make copies. They just kind of went on with their business. Um, whereas this was so pervasive um, that I think everyone knew that it was incumbent upon us to help. So it sounds like this storm was pretty different with first the Lone Star fire and then um, the gravity of the storm and how many people reached. Uh, how was the needed response different in other ways, if there are any, than the previous storms? Well, and not only was it different in the gravity and, and sort of the widespread nature, you know, hitting everywhere, it happened over a, a period of a few days in phases. So the first two days, you know, one kind of half of Houston was hit and devastated. And then in a few days that followed, when they had to release the levee, the dams, the whole west side of Houston flooded after the storm. So it, it was over like a four or five day period and it hit so many parts and so, and so much and did so, so much damage that I think the reaction, I mean, I, I, I just think the gravity just really, the gravity and, and the reach, you know, I had my neighborhood, which had never flooded like this, 60% of the homes were, were destroyed. Oh my gosh. The neighborhood I grew up in, which is just the adjoining neighborhood, 1,900 out of 2,300 homes were destroyed. That is such a large amount of people that have been displaced. And I even uh, had heard this before that even if you wanted to evacuate the city, you really couldn't because we saw all the pictures of the highways there flooded. There was nowhere to go. They, you know, we, we could have left, and we have done the evacuation before. We evacuated for Ike and Rita in different ways, and... We really decided to stay because our house had never flooded before and our street had never flooded before, our neighborhood had never flooded before, and we thought we'd be able to sort of weather the storm and then we could decide, which is what we did after Ike, then we could decide if the city was devastated and there was no power or something like that, then we could decide to leave. Um, so we could, you, we could have evacuated many days before the storm, which some people did, um, but if we had tried, if there had been some sort of mass evacuation, the death toll would have been horrifying because of what happened to the highways. So the last time I evacuated, it took us 10 hours to get to Austin, which was, is two and a half hours away because we were just stuck on the freeway in major traffic. If that had happened during this storm, we would have all uh, perished because we've all been stuck on the freeway and those freeways flooded in our cars. So, I think it's great there wasn't a mass evacuation, but it's true that once the storm started, there was I mean, we, we were trapped in our house for at least three days, four days. We, we, I mean, we just couldn't leave. Yeah, I grew up in the East Coast, so like I'm used to hurricanes, but I that is not something like I could even imagine experiencing or that like would have been prepared for. It was a very it was it was definitely something like I've never seen or experienced, and you know I I sort of approached it. Um, from two different perspectives. You know, I was worried about my house, my family, all of my friends, my city, the town I love, my kids' schools, and all of that. But also, at the same time, I knew that this was going to be a huge, um, have a huge impact on the impoverished community in this city and in this region of the state. And that, I feel, is, is my responsibility. So immediately, you know, we all started emailing about What's next? What do we set up? How do we make sure we're ready once we can get in and help people? So that was, you know, 
I can't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday, um, the first day that I was down at the George R. Brown, but there were already lawyers down there helping the Lone Star Legal Aid lawyers um, from all over town just who were just show up and help. But then in those few days, we developed a, um, a system for lawyers to sign up and go down to the shelters from all across Houston, and, and really um, we pulled upon our, our travel ban experience, and we used actually the same portal with Houston Volunteer Lawyers to have people sign up for shifts at the disaster shelters that we used for the airport shifts during the travel ban. And so it sounds like you mobilized pretty quickly and um, jumped right in. So what were your short-term and long-term efforts once you started emailing and getting everyone together? So our short-term efforts was staffing at the shelters. So first there was one shelter, then it grew to two, and then there were, I think at most, you know, sort of four or five main large shelters. And so making sure that um, the legal aid organizations, Lone Star and Houston Volunteer Lawyers, had enough volunteer lawyers at those shelters. And so we had them in, in a few hour shifts throughout the day. Um, so that was the immediate. And what they really did was answer questions, um, give you know brief legal advice and guidance based on the information they were getting from the disaster relief experts, um, you know, help with any um, guidance. A lot of what we were hearing about was, you know, food stamps, housing questions, things like that. So that was sort of the immediate. And that went on for maybe 10 days where people were really still in shelters and we were providing legal services at those shelters. And at the same time, we were working with organizations to make sure that the legal aid organizations had the materials, the resources, maybe if they, we were offering, um, you know, IT support, if they wanted to create training videos, you know, things like that. We started to think about what projects were going to come in the future once all of these displaced people were back in more permanent settings. We were worried about housing issues, um, you know, they're being evicted from apartments they couldn't live in that were uninhabitable. Um, and all sorts of things, and the legal aid organizations are saying that they, they see a lot of that. We, we are worried about people missing um, immigration deadlines and things like that because of being displaced and missing, um, not, not receiving notice. So we've been thinking about um, what the issues would be, and the first one we knew that would come ripe would be these FEMA appeals from denials. Because people were applying for FEMA so quickly, um, electronically from their phones or um, from the shelters, the denials are also coming awfully quickly. So what, the first project that this APCO tax, task force really tackled was working with the legal aid organizations, Trala and Lone Star, Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid and Lone Star Legal Aid, on what they think is, is the most pressing need, which is um, FEMA appeals, FEMA denial appeals. So where we are right now is there has been a national program that launched where I think there are about 30 ABCO firms that have signed on to agree to take these FEMA appeals. Um, the lawyers do not have to be licensed in Texas. They can be handled from anywhere. And Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid and Lone Star Legal Aid are going to start distributing um, those FEMA appeals cases, which are on tight, tight turnarounds. Um, I think it's 60 days or something like that. Um, and that's, that's our first sort of major pro bono project to help Harvey victims. We're hoping to be able to um, duplicate that project and just expand it to then include Harv then include Irma, Maria, and the California fires and things like that. We're just first because the denial, you know, the the disaster happened first, so that the denials are happening first. Yeah, there are so many, um, I guess, 
things to deal with after this storm, I think, that are more widespread than others. Like, I was just reading about how how are children going to get back to school because they might not have homes, they might not have schools to go back to, and things like that that I think aren't necessarily something that happens in every storm. Yeah, it, the, the level of displacement was so widespread. I, I really don't – I mean, there's lots of, you know – I read lots of articles and I've seen lots of information. You know, we've had, there are whole schools that have just been closed and kids have been, you know, sent to different, different schools. Schools have been con- converged. My kids go to smaller private schools and the other, co- the other community schools in their community, it hit, um, the storm hit the Jewish community very hard by geography. And so several Jewish day schools had to sort of merge and were using space of other schools. I mean, it, it, it is, and, and those schools, um, just now, those two or three schools went back into their buildings. Um, there are some public schools, some high schools that won't be back in their buildings for a whole year. Um, there are lots of concerns, I would think, from parents about um, trying to make sure that people are getting where they need to be in the appropriate classes. I think about kids in special needs classrooms and special needs programs. Um, I have not yet spoken to Disability Rights Texas about that or children at risk, which is sort of in their wheelhouse. I am sure they're working through those issues. Um, but again, like I said, the FEMA, <laughs> FEMA appeal process or project, I think, is, is first. But I think there will be projects, maybe housing, maybe immigration motions to reopen cases that were closed because people missed hearings, um, maybe, you know, big school um, you know, education issues. I, I do think that there are a lot of issues to come. We just don't always know what they are yet. We can try to anticipate them based on, you know, disasters we've lived through before, like Sandy. Um, we've gotten great guidance from some of the New Jersey and New York legal aid organizations about maybe what's to come. Small businesses we see as that Sandy really saw as a huge issue supporting small businesses. So we're talking about maybe, you know, a new sort of reinvigorating our small business legal academy and focusing it on on um on Harvey victims. It, those are just things that are sort of in the in the works, which is why it's so important in my opinion to have pro bono counsel at these at firms that can actively coordinate with the legal service providers so immediately to combine resources of the human resources at the firm with the background and expertise at the legal services organization, I think without active pro bono counsel, it would be much harder to really make that happen so quickly. And this is definitely going to be, it seems like a very long-term effort that's going to be ever-changing and the effects are going to be felt for a long time. Now, although we're about three months out now um, and it's still ongoing, would you do anything differently? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I am not sure there was anything we could have done differently. I would, you know, I think things would have looked a little differently had Lone Star Legal Aid not experienced such a horrible tragedy in terms of, um, I don't think we would have had, you know, I think the project right away, I don't know that I would have been in my office for a couple of days making sure we had the right flyers and the right things um, for the shelter tables because Lone Star would have just handled that. Um, we spent a lot of time, I think, really trying to help the legal aid organization get back on their feet that we might not have had to do otherwise. It's just one of those strange circumstances of this disaster. 
Um, but I do think we mobilized quickly and, um, I, we had the legal aid organizations and the law firms, you know, on emails together right away. Um, I, I do think we were coordinated quickly and I think that our ability to coordinate quickly helped Florida and is helping Puerto Rico a little, you know, sort of model how it can be done. That said, it's not perfect. You know, our FEMA appeals pro project launched, I think, last week a little slower than we would have liked. Um, the holiday, Thanksgiving holiday made it probably hard, but because of the quick deadline, we need these cases to be picked up quickly. So I'm not saying everything is happening perfectly, but I think we reacted as best we could for those circumstances. Um, and we had the people in place that we needed to have in place. So I think that um, those were our sort of recipes for success. So we've been talking a lot about crisis response at PBI because it's not just natural disasters and it's um, obviously because you did the airport lawyering as well. Do you have any tips and tricks for crisis response? I think a structure is important. So, you know, and we did this at ABCO too at one of our last conferences is, you know, how, how do you structure reaction to a, a, to a crisis? And so I think, you know, having point people, so the way we structured it, and it was really just happenstance but it worked out great is having someone, you know, sort of on the ground near the crisis because they generally have the, the relationships with the legal service providers and, and how you're going to know that, but have a, a backup, um, you know, committee for lack of a better word, task force. Um, that is not where the disaster or crisis may be. Now that works better for a natural disaster. Um, there are other crises <laughs> like the travel ban or, um, or something like that, DACA, that hit us all the same way. So, but I think the creation of a task force or committee structure is really important. And on the disaster relief side, I, I think it's important to have someone on the ground with certain responsibilities, but someone not on the ground for some responsibilities that can be handled from afar. Um, because the people on the ground are also handling their own, <laughs> for their own lives. But I, I think having a structure in place was really, you know, at, so we were able to assign out tasks. We were able to say, okay, you go, you know, so we asked before the disaster hit, before the crisis hit, which you're also not always able to do in a crisis, for people to volunteer to be on our task force. So maybe because we knew the disaster was, the natural disaster was coming, I guess most natural disasters, you know, are coming except for maybe a tornado and an earthquake. But to have a structure in place in your organization to know who the people are going to, who are going to be the point people to talk to the legal aid organizations, who are going to be the point people to talk to the government organizations if necessary, who are going to be the point people to talk to the, um, the bar association or the, or the other law firms. I think having that kind of task force structure that you can then kind of um, mobilize for any crisis really helps. I mean, when a crisis happens, it's uh, definitely something that can be pretty chaotic. So I could see why structure is something that's definitely wanted and needed. And that's a, a pretty useful tip. It really worked for us. And it, um, it was so great for me to be on the ground at the convention centers, but for me to be able to say, there is, there is a um, difference of opinion on the, on a, on a food stamp issue. Um, people are concerned there was a, a deadline to reapply. If, if you moved, you had like a 10 day where you had to update your address. And so I reached out to the task force and I said, can someone talk to the, the Sandy folks, the legal aid organizations in Sandy and find out what they did. And we got 
slew of research and all sorts of things, and we were able to give all of that guidance to the Texas folks down here. Without a structure, um, I don't. We couldn't have made that happen. Yeah, I think it it definitely um, made your mobilization and aid process probably smoother. And um, it's great that everyone across the community of the whole entire country kind of came together and was sharing their experiences. Uh, because I mean, hurricanes are widespread up the coast and even into Texas. Uh, so before we go, is there anything else you would like to add? I just want to add that I, I think that the biggest lesson we can learn from all of this, I think, and what I have said about pro bono in the ten, almost 10 years I've been on this side of it, on the firm side of it, is collaboration. Collaboration among the law firms, collaboration with the legal service providers, collaboration among the legal service providers. I think that that is, is literally the key to success for any pro bono project, any response to a disaster, any response to a crisis is, is collaboration. We can combine our resources, our expertise, our reach can be so much bigger if we collaborate in a, in a productive way. And these ABCO task forces, which include the law firms, plus with responsibility to reach out to legal service providers and making sure we are filling all the gaps, um, really allows us to be nimble in these in these circumstances. And I think without the collaboration, uh, it would just be a bunch of lawyers wanting to and trying to help, but without the structure it would be really hard without the collaboration. Yeah, it's nice in the time, time of crisis and need that um, there's something uplifting about the collaboration and everyone coming together. So I want to thank you for coming back again to talk about this important and last minute surprise issue to you all. Um, and thank you for doing this again. It's a pleasure, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Thank you so much. New and archive episodes of the podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Please take a moment to leave an Apple Podcast review. It is quick and easy to do. We would appreciate the feedback and would help make it easier for other listeners to find the show and expand the conversation about pro bono and access to justice. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, feedback, and questions to pro bono at probonoinst.org.